Thy kingdom come. It really should be the desire of every Christian heart. For this is the kingdom that we are thinking of. It is the kingdom that is said in the word of God that is of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. And surely that must be the desire of every Christian heart. And I hope it is your desire as well. That righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit would be in your heart. And then also be found in the hearts of so many souls in the world. Just consider it tonight, friends. The world will be watching a debate between two men for the highest office in this land. And do you think, do you think, and I pray that this is not true, do you think that that debate will be characterized by righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost? And are they not then representative of the world and the nation that we live in? And the hearts of the citizens of it. And so should we not then desire that the hearts of every citizen in this nation would have righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost? Is that not what we are praying for when we pray, thy kingdom come? That's what we're praying for, friends. This petition must be prayed often. It really must be prayed often, friends. Because think about it. Think about it in these terms. Is it not? Do you not think it is the dread? To hear this prayer prayed by the saints would be the dread of every person and every power and principality opposed to Christ. Is this not the dread of such people? Can you imagine how much Satan and his minions must tremble Every time a spirit-filled soul prays, thy kingdom come. If I were the devil, I would quake each time the saints prayed it. Because I know what the end of that prayer is. My own doom. This petition strikes at the heart of Satan's kingdom. Thy kingdom come. It is a prayer used to batter down the gates of hell. For the kingdom of God advances and grows to the detriment of whose kingdom? Satan's kingdom. As they say, this is a zero-sum game. When Christ's kingdom increases, Satan's decreases. For Christ came to plunder the strong man. And thy kingdom come is a prayer that Christ the conqueror would vanquish Satan and pluck out souls out of Satan's kingdom and bring them into the kingdom of God. Thy kingdom come. And every soul converted to Christ's cause is one less soul in Satan's kingdom. Praise God. And if you are converted here tonight and God has given you faith, it truly has been the answer of the prayer of the saints. Thy kingdom come. And it is linked, therefore, to the first petition, isn't it? We considered that last time. Hallowed be thy name. For the only way that people will hallow the name of God is if they come into the kingdom of God so that they may hallow it. And we're going to see that the Lord's Prayer, as we go through the weeks of, of being in the petitions, there's a wonderful unity to this prayer. The petitions just flow one out of the other. And so anyhow... That, I hope, sets the theme for tonight's sermon of thy kingdom come. And what a truly powerful prayer it is if we would understand the scope of it. And we're going to divide our time tonight.
tonight into four ways to pray this second petition. And this is not exhaustive, but these are the major categories I believe will be useful for your own prayers. And the first, uh, first division here is that you must pray for the kingdom of grace to advance by the kingdom of power. I'll explain what I mean by that as we get into that heading. Second, we must pray for the kingdom of grace to advance in hearts. Third, we pray for the kingdom of grace to advance by the church, who is Christ's instrument in all this. And lastly, we must pray for the kingdom of glory to be ushered in. So first, pray for the kingdom of grace to advance by the kingdom of power. And as we begin tonight, we must distinguish between Christ's kingdoms. And there are two that are spoken of, particularly in this present age. Christ's kingdom of power and Christ's kingdom of grace. And Christ's kingdom of power is the kingdom he exercises in the governance of all things. It is the kingdom of providence. All things, everything, even the devil, is under Christ's kingdom of power. There's not a single thing that is created that is not under the kingdom of power. And as we sang in Psalm 110, Christ now sits at God's right hand and he holds the scroll of God's decrees as in Revelation. And he looses the seals and all that comes to pass comes to pass by his power. But then there is the kingdom of grace, which is to be distinguished from the kingdom of power. And this kingdom is found in the hearts of men. It's found in the hearts of men who submit willingly to Jesus Christ by his grace. Luke 17, 21, behold, the kingdom of God is within you. John 3, 3, Jesus answered, this is to Nicodemus, and said to him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, unless a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And this is the kingdom that we pray for. This is the kingdom that we pray for to come. We don't need to pray for the kingdom of power to come because it has absolute power over everything. We are praying for the kingdom found in men's hearts to come. Thy kingdom come. And why do we pray for that kingdom to come? Because by nature, friends, all men are under the dominion of sin and Satan. By nature, friends, the kingdom of grace must advance because all men are dead in their sins and their trespasses and they need to be born again. And so when you pray thy kingdom come, you are praying for Christ's kingdom of grace to advance, not for the advancement of the kingdom of Christ's power, which is absolute, no need for that to advance. But we pray that the advancement of the kingdom of grace would continue because all men are born naturally dead in trespasses and sin and are enslaved to the devil and their sin. But what we do do when we consider the kingdom of power is that we would pray that Christ would exercise his power to advance the kingdom of his grace. For him to exercise providence, to exercise his dominion over the world, because all power is entrusted into Christ's hands. And we pray that he would use it to advance the kingdom of grace. Has he not used his power to move uh, even rulers like Cyrus and Constantine to protect the church and advance it? 
Has he not caused many wonderful things to come about by the exercise of his providence? So should we not pray for the exercise of his power? And this, boys and girls, may be especially important for you. Even in the small things, we pray that he would exercise the kingdom of his power. Have you ever considered this one little detail? I just, just as just an example. In the book of Ruth, uh, Ruth 2, verse 3. Then she, Ruth, left and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And she, listen to the language, she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the family of Elimelech. Never consider that. She just happened, right, to come to this part of the field belonging to her future husband, Boaz. And is that not the Lord's providence in view? She had no plan to go and meet him in that part of the field. But this is the Lord's providence in view here. And he used a simple providence in the kingdom of his power. And what was the use of that providence ultimately? For the kingdom of grace, wasn't it? How was it used, boys and girls? Do you remember how it was used? It actually brought about our Lord Jesus Christ, didn't it? Right? Ruth would marry Boaz and they would have Obed, David's grandfather. But she happened to come to Boaz because of the Lord's providence. And so while we often see the, or desire the Lord to move in large ways by moving the hearts of kings and presidents, he will often use small day-to-day providences in a mighty way to advance his kingdom. After all, the kingdom begins as what? A mustard seed, doesn't it? But it grows as a, as a mighty, mighty tree that chokes out the kingdom of Satan. And it surely does grow from one it so happened after one it so happened. And that's ordinarily how the Lord works. Many of those things which to you just so happened have been used in the advancement of the kingdom of God. And I was just thinking about a concrete example for our own congregation. And it was just, it just sort of moved me. Uh, You know, Pastor Kohler just so happened to come into the Midwest Presbytery on the week I just so happened to go and inquire about church planting. And Elder Silva just so happened with his family to move down to DFW in the, uh, a week or two after we began our worship services. It just so happens, happens to be the way that the Lord ordinarily works uh, his might in the kingdom of grace. Some of you just happened to have a friend or a family member who shared the gospel. Or brought you to a place where you would hear the gospel. Many of you just so happened to stumble on social media. About some of the distinctives of our church. And the Lord has used that for the advancement of the kingdom of grace. And so in every way, whether small or great. Don't just pray for kings and presidents. Pray for even daily interactions. Pray that the Lord would use his power to bring about the kingdom of grace. And even as we consider small and large things, one of the problems that we often have is that we do not see the extent of Christ's kingdom of power. One of the the proof texts that I just found wonderful in our standards is Isaiah's prayer in Isaiah 64, where he prays that God would use his almighty power to advance the kingdom. And he says and prays, oh, that thou wouldst rend the heavens 
that Thou wouldst come down, that the mountains might flow down at Thy presence, as when the melting fire burneth, the fire causeth the waters to boil, to make Thy name known to Thine adversaries, that the nations may tremble at Thy presence. That's the power of God. And that means that there is no immovable object for Himself to advance the church, to advance the kingdom of grace. And beloved, you can have great confidence that the Lord God Almighty has every power to answer you when you cry, Thy kingdom come. Whatever obstacle appears to be in the path of the church, whatever obstacle appears to be in the path of our evangelism, or our continuing to worship the Lord, there is nothing that is beyond the power of Jesus Christ to move. And Isaiah prayed in the face of great calamity that the Lord would do mighty things for his kingdom. In the face of Babylonians coming in to destroy the nation. And so you can confidently pray, Oh, that thou wouldst rend the heavens, that thou wouldst come down if you earnestly seek the good of Christ's kingdom. And the real blessing is that the king who is the king of the kingdom of power is the same king who's the king of the kingdom of grace. These are not two different kings. One doesn't have to beg the other to help the church. This is the same king. Blessedly, the same king rules over both kingdoms. And isn't it wonderful then that the king of the kingdom of power has every sympathy for his church, that he is inclined, his heart is inclined to exercise his power for us. For it is he who suffered to give grace, who was crowned with all power, as we sang in Psalm 110. All power is given to me in heaven and in earth, is what the king of the church says. So Jesus of Nazareth, the God-man himself, has been given the kingdom of power to advance his kingdom of grace. And that really does fill us with great joy and relief, doesn't it? So pray that our Lord Jesus might bring about every providence necessary for the advancement of the kingdom of grace. And so we can think then, as we think about specific prayers... We can think about every way the Lord might use providence to advance his kingdom for our sake. Here in McKinney, what are some ways that we can pray that the Lord would open an avenue for the gospel? Is it beyond the Lord even to open up the hearts of councilmen that they would favor the evangelistic work of the church? So that even at a local level, kings might be foster fathers and nurses might be nurse, uh, queens could be nursing mothers. Could we not pray that the residents of McKinney would open their doors for us when we knock on them with our tracks and that it would be to the end that they would believe and have everlasting life? Could we not pray confidently then that the church might have finances and a facility to support the advancement of the kingdom, even when such things seem so impossible with our current state of affairs? There are many ways people of God, to ask the Lord to advance the kingdom of grace by way of the kingdom of power. And none of these things are beyond his his grasp, of course. And they are all reasonable prayers. These are all reasonable prayers, but you have to understand this, as long as the motivation is right, 
And that the key is this, that the motivation must be the glory of God. The glory of God. If we pray such things only so our church can have a beautiful building, a beautiful edifice, or that the fame of the Dallas Reformed Presbyterian Church would increase, let us not expect to receive anything from the Lord. But if we would have the heart to desire a meeting place that we'd be full of souls who would hunger and thirst for righteousness, that we may point such hungry beggars of grace to Christ, and that we would desire a meeting place that the songs of Zion would reverberate to the glory and praise of God, then maybe, just maybe, He would answer such prayers, friends, as they are sincere and from the heart, that our hearts are inclined, Thy kingdom come, so that hallowed be Thy name. So let's consider the heart then as we have introduced that as a topic and we will consider our next heading. Pray for the kingdom of grace to advance in hearts. And pardon the expression, but this is the heart of the petition, is the heart. That hearts would be subdued to their king. That hearts that once went astray would now be returned to the shepherd and bishop of their souls. And we really can overcomplicate things a great deal if we miss this simple, basic point. Because this is the crux of the matter, and this is the crux of the petition. And you must always remember, if you you forget anything else about the sermon and about this text, if you forget anything else, never forget that the kingdom of grace advances by advancing in the hearts of men. Hearts that come into the kingdom by way of faith in Jesus. The kingdom advances when stony heart after stony heart are made into hearts of flesh. Hearts that bow down to Jesus not only as their savior, but also as their king. Hearts that bow down to the king of the kingdom. And how does such faith come about? Through word and spirit. Through word and spirit, friends. Romans 10, verse 17. So then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And so there's a very simple, there's a very logical, and there's a very airtight chain of reasoning here and how the kingdom of God advances. As it advances by faith and faith that comes by hearing of the word of God. And that's then going to be central to the prayer of thy kingdom come. And we have a tendency to overcomplicate these things. But the Apostle tells us, as I've already alluded to earlier in Romans 14, verse 17, that the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. It is a spiritual kingdom. It is a spiritual kingdom wrought by the Spirit and found in the hearts of men. It's not a kingdom of this world. It's surely not a kingdom of this world. It is only when the heart is converted to Christ that the kingdom advances. A heart that is taken from Satan's grasp and from the grasp of sin. And a heart that is willing to bend the knee to Christ's power. And only boys and girls, when our hearts are given to Jesus, will you find yourself in the kingdom of grace. And is it not the heart of man that the Lord is after? Think of even the proverb, Proverb 23, 26. This is a good one as we raise children as well. My son, give me thine heart and let thine eyes observe my ways. That's surely the, a father's 
request to his boy, but surely it is also our Lord Jesus Christ's statement to us. My son, give me thine heart and let thine eyes observe my ways. So can you pray then for your own heart, thy kingdom come, even if you are converted? You know, often we don't point this prayer at ourselves, do we? But should we not pray thy kingdom come to our own hearts? And one of the things, as you ponder that for a moment, one of the things I did not mention in our introduction to the Lord's Prayer, but I ought to have, is that the petitions of the Lord's Prayer are, are, are petitions that should be prayed daily. Should they not? Each and every day. After all, what's the clue there? Give us this day our daily bread. Right? These are petitions we must pray daily. The implication is you must pray this prayer daily. So we must be praying thy kingdom come every day. But before we pray for the advancement of Christ's kingdom out there, should we not pray that Christ's kingdom would advance in our own heart? For are any of you truly and completely uh, compliant to the will of Christ? Are any of us truly submitting in all ways to Christ's rule? Or does his kingship need to increase over our own heart? Your heart and my heart is not yet fully subdued to the king. Friends, I don't think we grasp how much we all need, all need Christ to advance his kingdom in our own heart. Do we not all need more faith in Jesus? Does he not need to have in all things the preeminence? Yes, But can you truly say that he has the preeminence in your own heart first? Or are there other things that are a struggle to hand over to him in your heart? You know, David, who was a converted man in Psalm 51.10, would pray, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit in me. He needed more and more of a clean heart and a steadfast spirit. Spirit, And it is too easy to focus this petition on the lost, those who need to enter the kingdom of grace. But this is a wonderful petition to amplify and focus our attention on Christ's kingship over us, for he is the king of the kingdom. And we must become more and more his subjects each and every day. We must hand over every portion of our heart to Jesus Christ. And we do not yet see all things in our heart put under his feet, do we? No. And so before we go and tell others to submit to Christ, we must ask ourselves if we are the ones who are continually repenting before the Lord and seeking to submit to his heart in all things. And I'll just mention this because it seems pretty plain from this text that the root of hypocrisy is really the desire to see the kingdom of God advance in your neighbor, but not seek to advance it in your own heart first. How can we go and say you must submit to the king if we will not submit ourselves? What is that? That's hypocrisy, friends. That's hypocrisy. You must let him rule over your own heart first before you tell others he must rule theirs. But if we are aiming this at our heart, we are surely then in the proper frame to pray, Thy kingdom come in terms of conversions. That just as the kingdom has come into your own heart, it would come into the heart of others by way of the word of God. Verily, verily, I say unto thee, unless a man be born again, 
He cannot see the kingdom of God. And so we must uh, long to see men be born again. And what a great need that is in our place, isn't it? Can you think of a greater need that our city, our municipality, our, our, uh, our nation, our state has than the need for men to be born again? What a simple thing that is, once again. A simple thing that is, but it often seems to be missed by us. It's a simple thing. We need men to be born again. Yet we are often like Nicodemus as Jesus asked him, Are you the teacher of Israel? And you do not know these things. We are prone to miss such a simple thing, friends. How we need a people to be born again in this world. And how we need to pray thy kingdom come. For only a people born again will hallow the name of God. Only a people born from above will love the Lord. And only a people born again will, uh, uh, through them, will we as a society taste the fruits of righteousness. Only through such a people. And what is the primary instrument used by God to this end? It is the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. It is the church that is the primary instrument used by the Lord to cause men and women to be born again. And so that takes us to our next heading, which is that we are to pray for the kingdom of grace to be advanced by the church. Well, the Lord Jesus Christ who is the king and head of the church, said what? I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. It is he who will advance the kingdom of grace, and he does it by building his church. And since he is God Almighty, there is no way that the gates of hell will prevail. And this is the wonderful thing as we pray this petition that Satan will never prevail against Christ's church because the head of the church is the king. And Jesus will surely plunder the strong man. What a wonderful thing it is for us who are in the kingdom that hell's gates cannot and will not stand against the power of the gospel of Christ. But as you survey the church today, friends, does that not take faith to believe it? We often don't believe it because it takes great faith to believe it. And so this is a call to walk by faith and not by sight. Because true churches seem very weak today. But could that be, friends, our fault for not praying thy kingdom come? Could that be our fault for not praying thy kingdom come? That the king might answer us and the king might grow his church into that vision Daniel saw. That kingdom that overshadows every other kingdom. If we are bemoaning the state of the church today, friends, but are not praying thy kingdom come, perhaps we find ourselves to blame. When have we last prayed thy kingdom come? And so let's ask why it is important to pray for the church. And there are many reasons. Why is it important to pray for the church, especially When we pray, thy kingdom come. We've already established that it is through the church that souls are converted and souls enter the kingdom. What did Calvin call the church? Our mother, didn't he? Our heavenly father uses the church to give us the second birth. So we cannot be praying thy kingdom come without having the church in our prayers, friends.
Listen to Joel 2, verse 32. And it shall come to pass that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And we often remember that, right? That whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. But listen to the ending of it. For in Mount Zion and in Jerusalem there shall be deliverance. Where is deliverance found? In Jerusalem, in the church. You cannot separate salvation and the calling of the name of the Lord from the church. Paul tells us that Jerusalem above is mother of us all. If we desire the second birth, if we desire men to be born again, we have to pray for the church. And we have to then pray, this is part of the petition, that there would be laborers so that thy kingdom would come. Because it is through the church come gospel ministers. And through their preaching, the Lord is pleased to work faith in the hearers of it. Romans 10, you likely know it well. How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, who bring glad tidings of good things, who bring glad tidings of good things. And it's interesting to me, maybe it's because I've been in Luke so much. That's the same expression that's being used of the angels, isn't it? Those who bring glad tidings of great joy. Here it is the minister of the gospel who brings the gospel of peace, preaching it, bringing glad tidings of good things. And these men will only come by way of the church. That's the only place that they will be birthed, so to speak. Because it is to the church Christ has given the power to ordain men, to ordain the ambassadors of Christ who bring glad tidings of good things to the nations. And for to the church is entrusted the great commission, the commission given to advance the kingdom of grace. And so a key part of thy kingdom come, friends, when you pray it, is to pray for gospel laborers. We've already considered that in Matthew 9. Therefore pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. So you must pray for ministers of the gospel. But you must also pray not just that the Lord would raise up ministers, but that they would be men of a certain character, that they would be especially bold, because the work of storming the gates of hell is hard, and it is difficult. It comes with great pushback. And we've been in a season and in a time in in this nation where it was relatively easy to be a minister of the gospel, hasn't it? You don't come under great persecution. You can have a decent salary. You can have a good life. That is not the experience of so many of our brethren and friends. And as things are turning and as they are going in our nation, it is going to be even more difficult for ministers of the gospel to do their work. Ordinarily, it comes with great pushback and how men are tempted to shrink back at preaching the gospel and the law, faith and repentance. And men are so quick. I know that because I am a man and I'm a minister. And men are so quick to forget God's sovereignty. We're all so quick to forget it. And even the Apostle Paul of all people prayed that uh, for asked the church to pray for him that he would be bold and if he needed such prayers how much more so the ordinary minister he asked praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit 
being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints and for me, that utterance may be given to me, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains, that in it I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. Twice he asks for boldness and he says, let me speak boldly, God, as I should. Even for the apostle, it was a struggle and he needed prayers to be bold. So pray that ministers would preach the gospel boldly, especially when it's going to be very, very difficult and very unpopular to do so. Pray that ministers would preach against sin, that Christ would subdue our hearts and cause us to repent, especially as there are some sins now that are, that are golden calves in our society. We must make sure that our ministers, and, and we're not just talking, we need it for our own ministers, but every minister in this nation is coming under the temptation to blunt the gospel message. Pray for boldness, because unless the ministers are very bold, thy kingdom will not come. We need boldness in our ministers. But pray most of all that if they preach nothing else, they would preach Christ and make known the mystery of the gospel, as Paul says here, salvation by faith, Alone in Christ alone. For there are many things that will tempt preachers not to preach Christ and Him crucified. So pray for ministers. Do you remember how the first disciples prayed in Acts 4? And now, Lord, behold their threatenings and grant unto thy servants that with all boldness they may speak thy word. This is required in thy kingdom come. And if you think about all the eras of the church, you think about how the Lord has answered this prayer when it was most needed. In the Reformation, in the early church, with the Covenanters, and so on. These were all eras where there needed to be ministers who are very bold to speak the word of God and had the kingdom not come in powerfully through all those means. So if we would like to see the kingdom come, we need men who are bold. But don't just pray for ministers. Pray that the church would be furnished with every kind of church officer. We need elders to shepherd the flock, to magnify Christ more and more in the hearts of the people by way of their godly counsel from the Bible and shepherding the people of God so that the kingdom would advance in the hearts of their people. We need deacons to allow elders to attend to the ministry of prayer and word. Pray that we would have more men for all these offices. And so this Lord's Day, we will conduct an election for a ruling elder. Should we not be praying, thy kingdom come, as we seek the will of God? Because that's really what we're doing, friends. We're not just adding another man to a leadership position in the church so we can put his name on the website and we can see another man in our midst in leadership. The end of that is thy kingdom come. And that needs to be our frame as we go into these things. Pray that the Lord might provide this Lord's day so that thy kingdom come. And in all of this, then, at the same time, we are called in this petition to pray that the church would have peace. 
so that the church would have the peace to do her work to advance the kingdom. Psalm 122, verses 6 and 7. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. May they prosper who love you. Peace be within your walls, prosperity within your palaces. There's so many assaults that are taking place against the church. From outside as nations rage against the Lord and his anointed. But also from inside the church aren't there friends. Heretics, we thought about this last Lord's Day, and other perverse men seek to cause conflict in the church. Schismatics love to pick fights and divide the church against itself. But a house divided, our Lord said, cannot stand. And yet that's so much of our energy, isn't it, in the church, is fighting against one another. If we could only pray, Lord, give peace to Jerusalem. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. May they prosper who love you. Peace be within your walls. Prosperity within your palaces. Pray when you pray thy kingdom come that the church would have peace for the sake of thy kingdom come. After all, what do, what do military folks say? It is hard to fight a battle on two fronts, isn't it? How can we take the kingdom and storm the gates of hell if we're fighting a front inside the church? Let's pray that thy kingdom come would give peace to the church, but not just peace because there can be a false sense of peace, but the purity of the church is also required and must be maintained. The ordinances of Christ, our catechism says, and it's right, must be kept pure and it must be kept entire. For if the gospel, think of why that's important for thy kingdom come. For if the gospel and the worship of God are corrupted, How will anyone call on the name of the Lord in spirit and truth as the Lord is seeking? The Lord desires a pure offering. You remember this from Malachi 1, perhaps. For from the rising of the sun, even to its going down, my name shall be great among the Gentiles. So think of the Gentiles coming in. And in every place, incense shall be offered to my name and a pure offering. For my name shall be great among the nations, says the Lord of hosts. Malachi 1 verse 11. And so you hear in Malachi that the name of the Lord being declared among the nations is connected to a pure offering. Isn't that interesting? That the worship of God and the gospel going out to the Gentiles are both connected. And so is it any wonder then that the church is in such a weak state when we look around at the church today and see that a pure offering is so far from the hearts of Christ's people, by and large? We are not to offer sacrifices with spot and blemish. That was the whole controversy in Malachi 1, you might remember. But the nations need to see an uncorrupted and a true vision of Jesus as he is revealed in the word. Yet what is their vision of Jesus so often? It's through second commandment violations. They have no clue who Jesus is. And so the ordinances of the church must be kept pure and they must be kept entire. The word must be preached purely. The largest church that is not Joel Osteen's, the largest church where the minister Andrew Stanley says you must rip your Old Testament out of the Bible How will they come to call on the name of the Lord when that is the way our ministers are treating the word of God? 
You must pray thy kingdom come that such ministers would repent or be removed so that the purity of the church is maintained. Or else what is happening? Think of what is happening in that the largest so-called evangelical church. The worshipers are not being subdued to Christ, but to an idol. A false gospel and a false worship does not lead to thy kingdom come, but the coming of the kingdoms of idols, as hearts are not being given to Christ, but to vanity. So pray for the church to advance in these ways, friends. Pray thy kingdom come, and do not neglect to pray for the church in that. And finally, then, we consider our last heading. Pray for the kingdom of glory to be ushered in. Well, we have spoken of the kingdom of power and we have spoken of the kingdom of grace. But our standards speak of another, the kingdom of glory. And what we have to know is it's not truly a distinct kingdom from the kingdom of grace per se. But it is the kingdom of grace in its final state. As the saying goes, grace is glory begun and glory is grace consummated. And so the kingdom of grace is the kingdom of glory in seed form. And one day it will be consummated into the kingdom of glory. And all of you and only you who are in the kingdom of grace, whose hearts are in Jesus by faith, will find yourself taken to glory. And that is what Jesus is working in his marvelous providence even today, even now, by the working of the kingdom of his power. He is even now exercising his power to bring the kingdom of grace to its fullness as he batters the gates of hell by his church. Revelation 8. And I looked and behold a white horse. He who sat on it had a bow and a crown was given to him and he went out conquering and to conquer Christ is going out to conquer hearts even now. Christ is conquering and throwing down every stronghold, every power, and every principality until he returns to this world in glory. And Paul speaks of that day when the Lord will usher in the kingdom of glory. And listen to what he says in 2 Thessalonians 1. That day when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, taking vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. These shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. When he comes in that day, listen to this, to be glorified in his saints and to be admired, admired among all those who believe, Because our testimony among you was believed. Friends, pray. Pray that that day would be hastened. The day when sin and the devil and this world will be no more. The day when Jesus returns for us and takes vengeance on those who persecute us. The day when he will be glorified in his saints. The day when he comes to be admired among us who believe. The day when he will put away your troubles and sin will no longer plague you. The day when the blessings of the everlasting and eternal state will begin forevermore. And that is the great day when the kingdom of grace will flower 
into the kingdom of glory. And what a thing to pray for, friend. What a thing to long for. You must long for that day. You must remember that Christ's kingdom is not of this world. And you must remember that this is where he is taking you. And as you walk as a pilgrim in this world, you must long for the day when he comes back for you so that you will pray for that day. Because if that's your desire, you will pray for that day to be ushered in. Is it any wonder then that this is the very last prayer in the Bible? Even so, come Lord Jesus. Is that not worth praying for? But there is much to be accomplished before Christ will come back, isn't there? He laid out those things which must happen before he returns. Even the martyred souls in heaven asked, How long, O Lord, holy and true, until you judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? He said, Rest a little while longer until both the number of their fellow servants and their brethren who would be killed as they were was completed. The Lord says, you and I must wait a little while longer. There are things that he is accomplishing before his return. What are some of those things? You might know it. He must bring in the fullness of the Gentiles, must he not? Blindness in part has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. So to pray thy kingdom come, what must you pray for? You must pray for missions, for the fullness of the Gentiles to come in so that you can anticipate that day when he will return. You pray that the Jews would be called. Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. Pray for the Jewish people that the kingdom of glory would come. We have to pray for the fall of Antichrist, must we not? Let no one deceive you by any means, for that day will not come unless the falling away comes first. And the man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition, who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped, so that he sits as God in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. 2 Thessalonians 2 verses 3 and 4. And who else is this but the Pope of Rome? Exalting himself above all that is called God and sits as God in the church. The day will not come until the papacy is destroyed. Pray for it. Think of how much depth there is then to that last prayer of the Bible, even so come Lord Jesus. All of this and more is wrapped up in it. And how you are to be spurred on to pray for these things. When you think of the kingdom of glory, when you think of our Lord Jesus returning for us and to bring us to a place where there are no more tears and there is no more sin, a place where you will behold him face to face. And if that is your desire, if Jesus is your desire, you must pray earnestly, thy kingdom come, because that is the means to that end. But friend, if you are here today and you are not in the kingdom of God, on that day when Jesus returns, what is a joy to us will be a day of terror to you. For as the Lord in flaming fire, you heard this, will take vengeance on you who do not know God. So come into the kingdom, friend. Come by faith in Jesus. Look to him and be saved. Place your faith and hope in this Savior. 
Give up your sin to Jesus and be forgiven of all of it so that on that last day you will not tremble, but you would do what we heard in this text for those who believe that you would admire him, that you would admire him as your heart rejoices to know he has come for you. If you come to the Lord in a way, then it will be an answer to our own prayers of thy kingdom come. And as Christ's kingdom will have come into your heart, the kingdom of God will be in you. So come to Jesus while he may be found. And so thy kingdom come. Three simple words. But do you see how much meaning is behind it? So much meaning, friend. And I hope your own prayers will be enriched by our time together. As you understand better how to pray the Lord's Prayer. Next time, Lord willing, we will consider the third petition, Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now think of how naturally, as you've studied this, how naturally it flows from Thy kingdom come. For the will of God is done when Christ rules as King over your heart. And so the petitions of the Lord's Prayer are beautifully interwoven. And how thankful we are that Christ teaches us how to pray. Amen. But for now, let's rise for prayer and pray, thy kingdom come.